0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the fourth chapter. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. In our daily conversations, we often say something about ourselves or other people, which has to do with how we look at things, and we say that a person either looks at the glass half empty or half full. And when we speak in that way, the point, of course, is that our way of seeing depends on our orientation to things. Some would say that people who see the glass half empty have an orientation towards scarcity. Instead of seeing what they have, they see what they don't have, and that can lead them to be fearful and sometimes anxious as well. And on the other hand, we're told those who see the glass half full have an orientation towards abundance. Instead of seeing what they don't have, they see what is, what they have, and this can lead them to be more trusting and more hopeful. And I understand the dynamics at work here, but I want to push beyond comparisons like that to arrive at something that I think is much more deeply rooted in Scripture. Because the problem for me, in either way that you look at the glass in those examples, is that it is still only half of something. And that always implies incompleteness. As an alternative, I love the orientation of the psalmist in that first reading we heard today. For that person of faith, it isn't about half empty or half full. It is about a cup that is overflowing. It's about seeing what God has given and then recognizing it to be much more than enough, much more even than you deserve. It's about the spiritual gift of seeing not only potential but seeing rich blessing that keeps overflowing beyond that. And as I make this observation, I want to be especially clear that I'm not talking about a shallow version of this, which we hear so often today, in which blessing is only equated with material rewards or with physical well-being. In that way of seeing, our cup is only running over when our bank account has excess funds or when our homes are filled with more things than we need or when our bodies are healthy and strong. That's a dangerous way of turning a promise into a curse because it leads us right back to the fear of scarcity, to the feeling that God's blessings aren't enough, or in fact that they are absent whenever those things are not a part of our life. When you compare that to the testimony of Psalm 23, you see the obvious difference. God does lead me to green pastures, the psalmist says, but even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and even when I am surrounded by my enemies, there too, The psalmist says, my cup is running over. And that's the orientation that St. Paul writes about, I think, in his letter to the Corinthians that we also heard today. Don't be afraid or anxious, Paul says, because God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that having enough of everything, you may share. We chose that verse for our capital appeal and also for our stewardship theme during this season of Lent because we loved the way that it spoke to our lives and also to us as a congregation. And then as we thought about it some more, we also began to feel a real affinity with the people of Corinth who were the first to read and hear these words. From what we know, Paul was writing this letter. To a group of people who had been richly blessed. Their lives were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm sure there was economic diversity in the people who gathered for worship in Corinth. But we know too that they had received God's blessings, that they had received God's goodness and mercy in their life together, and grace upon grace in the midst of all of their joys and struggles that Paul mentions. And because of where they lived and the opportunities that were available to them in that big city, they also had been blessed with material wealth. At the same time, however, there were new Christian communities springing up in Jerusalem that had been hit hard by famine. And they were struggling also with a very unjust distribution of wealth. And Paul knew that they needed the support of brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul launched a capital appeal in several congregations and to his surprise it was one of the poorest congregations that responded first. In the chapter right before this one in 2 Corinthians Paul writes, we want you to know brothers and sisters about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, Paul says, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of the saints. We might wonder today, What led those churches in Macedonia to respond in this surprising way? And if you ask me, I think it had to be their orientation, an orientation that they had received from God's Spirit, along with a strength to resist all of the temptations that would have caused them to look out for themselves first and others second. That would have been the normal thing to do, along with the human instinct to take whatever little power they may have had and leverage that in some way for themselves. But instead, they did what Jesus did in our gospel story for today. They said no to a self-centered orientation. And they said yes to the promise that God would care for them and that God's protection and God's providence would be enough for them That God would give them what they truly needed from one day to the next. In that gospel story from Matthew, it's clear that the devil was expecting Jesus to cave in on every one of these appeals to self centeredness. In fact, it seems that that's the same approach every time, just in different forms. You're hungry, use your power to feed yourself. You're vulnerable, test God to make sure that God has your back. You are lacking in so many things. Worship me and I'll give you all the wealth and power that you can use in whatever way you choose for yourself. Judging by his responses, it's clear that Jesus knew Hebrew scripture well. And that gave him an orientation that didn't fade even under pressure. It's safe to assume, I think, that he would have also known and remembered Psalm 23 from beginning to end. And I like to think that this too gave him the strength that he needed to say in his own way, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of this strong enemy. And even here, my cup overflows. As we begin these days of Lent, that's the orientation that I pray for, for myself and for all of us. Because without it, I don't think we stand a chance against the temptations that we face. Every day there are forces that tempt us to believe that we won't have enough, we won't be enough and we won't do enough to be fulfilled in life. And every day we're tempted to take care of ourselves first and others second. Every day we're we're tempted to take whatever power we may have and leverage it mostly for ourselves to our own advantage. And if we have to fight that fight alone, I really don't see hope for us. Thankfully, when we keep reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we get to the place near the end where he tells them and all of us where our true hope resides. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Paul asks them. In other words, do you not realize that Christ's strength is in you and Christ's resilience and that Christ's faith is in you As you face these daily tests, yes, even in this way too,